This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Austin Bollinger. He is the founder of Daily New Year's, a blog and podcast dedicated to helping people ditch their old, tired resolutions and instead achieve massive success in their lives through the power of daily goal setting. Austin's blog led him to write his first book, Crush Your Goals, in 2019. After a year of hard work, it was released in February of 2020 and hit Amazon's bestsellers list in just 10 days. Austin is on a mission to build a community of goal-getters, a group of people who are focused on becoming better every day and living life to the fullest. His aim is to help inspire people around the world to take massive action toward their dreams every day, not just for a few weeks at the beginning of each year. Austin lives in Missouri with his best friend and high school sweetheart, Callie, and their two dogs, Rosie and Lily. He is an aspiring entrepreneur, speaker, coach, and is looking forward to authoring several more books in the future. To learn more about Austin and his work, please visit dailynewyears.com and also crushyourgoalsbook.com. Here is the interview with Austin Bollinger. In your own words, who is Austin Bollinger? That's a great question. So uh, who I am as a person. So I think most people would describe me and, and I would probably agree that I am a high achiever. I'm, I'm very self-driven. I'm a self-starter. I'm always charging ahead, looking at the future, wondering what's next. Um, and I know we'll get into this in a little bit, but I'm always setting goals and trying to figure out where life is going. I, I just love working. I love uh, hanging out with friends and family, my wife of 13 years. I'm a dog lover. I have mm -hmm. two pups of my own. Um, I'm very type A. My wife is very free spirited. So that's always fun. Uh, I like order. She likes a little bit of chaos. And so, yeah, that's that's a, a brief summary, I would say. That sounds wonderful to me. A great combination, everything. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Crush your goals, trade your old, tired resolutions for a goal-setting strategy that gets results. I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. The first one is, what it is to be a human being to you? 
That's a lovely question. I think the first word that jumped in my mind as you were saying that speaking the question there was just kindness. I think to be human, we're all on this planet together. Um, we're all, you know, struggling with our own problems. We're all going through our own things. And so many times we forget that and we lose patience with one another. And so to me, to be human is just to be kind to one another, to embrace one another and to just support each other, just to be there for one another. I love your answer, Austin. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Yes. How do you define success? What is to be successful to you? That's a, a question that you hear a lot of people ask. And for the longest time, I probably would have tied that definition to something career focused. But a close friend and mentor of mine once told me his definition, and I thought it was so insightful that I've adopted it for myself. But success is achieving fulfillment and happiness in all areas of your life, whether that's spirituality, career, family, finances, uh, vocation, avocation. Uh, there's so many categories to life. Uh, I love looking at the wheel of life, which if you're unfamiliar, it's just all the different aspects of, of life. And if your wheel is out of balance, you're in for a bumpy ride, right? So uh, for me, success is just being happy and being fulfilled in all of those areas. I think if if one area is too out of balance with everything else, it's just, it's hard to be truly successful. You hear people who have made it to the top, so to speak, who have made a lot of money, but they've lost their families along the way, or they're just not happy. And so to me, success is just being happy with everything and being fulfilled in all areas of your life. Yeah. Another wonderful answer. I agree. Yes. We'll be exploring that a bit more about how to become happy, especially <laughs> with goals, with our work and achieving what we want to achieve in life. Yeah. What and where is the future? What and where is the future? That's very, very deep. I think, you know, the future could be as soon as tomorrow, right? Each of us is, you know, not guaranteed a tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. For me, the future, you know, I personally, I want to be a uh, speaker. I want, I've authored one book, but I would love to have authored multiple books. You know, I want to be a course creator, a coach. I want to help as many people as I can. So the future to me, I guess what it is, it's, it's bright. You know, I can't wait to to see what the future holds. Uh, I forgot the other thing. What and when or what and where? 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 Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, tell my, I tell my wife all the time, I never ever want to own one ginormous house. I would love to own a couple of very small, quaint homes in different areas of the world and just travel Right now, I live in central United States. I'm in Missouri. I don't, you know, go too far from home. So I hope the future for me is the ability to experience the world. Mm, wow, that sounds delightful, <laughs> that adventure. <laughs> and most often than not, we end up learning a lot more about ourselves by doing that. Yeah, absolutely. The outside. So my next two questions relate to being a male in a human body. Okay. What do you love the most about being a man? 
What do I love most about that? That is something I've never thought about. You know, obviously I'm married. So, you know, I, I, my wife goes through uh, certain rhythms with her body and, uh, you know, sometimes that can be a lot to deal with for her. So I'm always so grateful that if I'm not feeling well, it's because of an actual uh, illness or ailment. I, I love the the fact that we don't have female birthing cycles. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I know that's kind of kind of graphic and kind of weird to think about, but my wife struggles with that, and so it's just a recurring thing for her every month. And I'm like, I've always been so thankful that I don't have to deal with that. I love the way you speak about this phenomenon <laughs> or this <laughs> of being a woman and how you embrace that and, and you recognize how challenging it is. So that's a beautiful thing for men to say. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, every time that, you know, I, I experience that with her, it just makes me so thankful. And honestly, I, I feel so, so badly for her that, that she has to go through that. But it, it's also a beautiful thing because that's tied to bringing new life into the world. And if not for that, we, we wouldn't exist, right? That's right. What is the most challenging aspect about being a man? most challenging aspect. I really don't know. I think for me, if, if we're being completely candid and honest, the, the, the most challenging thing about being a man is sometimes you get put into a bucket with other men that I am a huge uh, appreciator of females. I, I love women. I, I totally empathize with women not earning as much as men or men not being kind to women and, and all of that. And so you know, a lot of women, unfortunately, kind of look at men as one category of kind of people. And that always kind of hurts um, because it's not something that I subscribe to. I value women so much. Sometimes it can be a little bit challenging to get put in that bucket. What does it mean to be free? What is freedom to you, Austin? I think freedom, I, I love the topic of freedom because I think it varies from each and every person. I, I talked about this with a guest on my podcast at one point. For her, freedom was living out of her RV and traveling the, comp the country and being free of material belongings. But then to someone else, freedom might be, you know, owning their own home and having the freedom to, to do what they want with their house, you know, not being confined to an apartment or a landlord. And so freedom can mean so much to so many people. Freedom to me is, I guess I would say, the ability to make my own decisions and to not have any one thing limit my options. You know, debt can be very limiting because you may not be able to start a business or travel the world or do any of those things. And then some people are okay with debt. So to me, it's just not having my options being limited in any way. Yeah, yeah, that resonates, makes a lot of sense to me. The next question relates to what's happening in the world these days or has been happening. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? I think we need a lot. <laughs> yeah. But going back to one of my earlier answers, I think compassion, understanding, and kindness. We're all, a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are going through some very challenging things. And then that's not being understood by other people. And I think we all have challenges and we all have things going on in our lives, some bigger than others, some harder to understand than others. But I think what the world needs right now is just so much more love and understanding and just compassion. Yeah, what a beautiful answer. Yes, I agree. What is your 
understanding and idea of inner peace? Inner peace, yeah. So just being being okay with who you are as a person. I think even me in some aspects of my life, I resist a little bit of who I am. I try to be, I try to go against the grain with who I am as an innate person. I strive to be better or different in some ways. And sometimes, you know, it's just like, well, this is who I am. This is who I need to be. I need to embrace that. And so I think inner peace just comes from being okay with oneself and, uh, just working on your strengths, not focusing on your weaknesses, just kind of going with the flow. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yes. Which can be very difficult to do, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's true, uh, isn't it? Yeah. To surrender, <laughs> let go and just flow with life. True. Yeah. What is love to you? Love to me is you're asking so many deep philosophical questions and these are the warm-ups. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why I call them warm-up. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're causing a lot of deep thought, I'll tell you that. So I think love is, you know, having been married since I was 19, uh, 13 and a half years now, love isn't something that just happens. It's something you have to work towards. And so it's accepting and appreciating every aspect of the person that you love, strengths, weaknesses, faults, everything. It's just loving that. Uh, accepting that and uh, appreciating that because we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. We all have things that uh, annoy the heck out of our significant others and partners. But those are all things that make us who we are. And without those things, we wouldn't be who we are. So just accepting that and, and appreciating that. Love your wisdom. <laughs> so, true. <laughs> so true. And my last warm up question, who is God to you? That's a great question. So I grew up with a, a not very spiritual family. My mom was always somewhat spiritual and engaged with church. So I grew up in and out of church and was raised Christian. Uh, but as an adult, I, I don't know what's out there. I don't know what's up there. I think we're all here because of something. There's I think there's some great uh, universe out there. There's some higher power, but I'm not sure what I label it or what I would call it. So I don't know. That's the best I can do, I think, with that answer. Mm, yes. What do you think life is? What is life to you, this experience? I think life is the greatest gift that any of us will ever receive. We only get one of these. We only get so much time. We only get so much interaction with the people that we're going through life with. So uh, you asked, you know, what experience is it? Life is an experience. It's it's really the the only experience. You know, we may I, I may not wake up tomorrow and, and see another day. So life is what we're living right now. It's just an incredible gift. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> what a beautiful <laughs> answer. Thank you, Austin, for your profound wisdom. How did you become a writer? I love that question because in high school, English class was probably my least favorite class, we'll say. Uh, I didn't get along with the teachers. They didn't get along with me. I didn't grasp the concepts. But in 2017, I had, was interacting with a lot of people. It was about October and I was working out at the gym all by myself. Most of the people that I kind of had seen kind of filter in and out and just all disappeared. And so I started talking to friends, family, people at work, Facebooking people that I hadn't seen at the gym in a while. And a lot of them started saying the same kind of thing. It's like, oh, you know, I'll get back into it this New Year's, January 1st. I'm, that's going to be my resolution I'm going to work towards next year. And 
the question I couldn't get out of my head is, well, it's October. Why would you waste three months just waiting for January 1st? Why is that date so important to so many people? And I thought, what if we pretended, because I will say that on January 1st, it's a beautiful holiday. It's a time of reflection and and planning and seeing where you've been and where you want to go. I, I love the holiday, but what if we pretended that every day was kind of the first day of the rest of our lives? Uh, what if tomorrow was New Year's Day? What would you do? And then whatever that is that you would do, why put that off You know, for three months, six months, or nine months? So I started a blog called Daily New Year's. Uh, I was working out at the gym and that name just jumped in my head and I loved it and I rolled with it. And I became a amateur blogger. Uh, it was just something I was doing. I loved doing it. And and writing about this concept of daily New Year's or becoming better every day, my first articles were oh so rough around the edges, but I just, I loved it. And so I spent a year of, of doing one post per week and I've had so much fun doing it. I noticed my writing started to get better. And as a lot of bloggers will do, they start to think about, okay, well, how do I grow my email list? How do I uh, engage with people more. And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to write a short ebook to give away on my blog to collect email addresses. And so I pulled together eight or 10 of my best blog posts that happened to all be about goal setting. Because the more I wrote about resolutions and, and things, the more research I did on focus, prioritization, clarity, uh, and goal setting, and all these things that orbit the, this personal development stuff. And so I had a few blog posts that I pulled together into an ebook and I quickly realized, you know, I might have enough content here to write a real book. Uh, and that was a, a five-year goal for me at the time was someday I want to write a book, but I never fathomed how someone could write, you know, 250 to 300 pages about any one topic. <laughs> uh, but last year, 2019, beginning of the year, I was like, you know, I'm going to take this ebook idea and turn it into a real full-fledged book. And, you know, I, I, I just, I wrote, I uh, enrolled in self-publishing school. It's uh, Chandler Bolt's online course, which was fantastic, by the way. I'm not an affiliate, but it was a great course. And I worked through that. That was my you know, main goal last year was to write that book. And man, I had so much fun doing it. I learned so much about myself and and goal setting in general. You know, you, you write about something and you don't expect to learn a lot about it along the way, but I learned so much. I got an editor involved and I actually learned a lot about grammar and how to write better and how to tell stories and put together a narrative. So it, yeah, it's, it all stemmed from the blog. I, in high school, I never loved writing. In college, I loved it a lot less. But when I started writing about something that I was passionate about, I, I found a love for it. I'm sorry, that's a way long answer, but that's how I got into it. Yes, I love this story too. And your book has a lot of interesting topics that I made notes here, and it's very clear. So yeah, you are a very good writer. Thank you. I enjoyed reading it. <laughs> it called my attention many points. So the first point I want to talk to you about is self-confidence. What mm -hmm. is to be self-confident in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I think the common the definition would be to very be very self-assured, you know, but outwardly a lot of people would assume or say that I am a very confident person, but I myself struggle with confidence. Sometimes I question am I on the right path? Am I doing the right things? Am I really good at the things that I think I'm good at? 
But I think for me, having self-confidence is having faith in oneself, you know, that once you do decide you want to do something or, or try something, uh, giving yourself the freedom and the, the faith that you can follow through on that, it's a very difficult thing. You know, I, I want to be a speaker someday. And so every anytime anybody asks me to come speak, I'll do it for practice. But I always think it's going to go horribly bad and it almost never does. And so I struggle with confidence with that. But, you know, I get up and I do it anyway. So, you know, I, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I think everyone struggles with confidence and that gets into I think it affects some people more to the point where it affects self-esteem. And so I think self-esteem and self-confidence are, are different things, but it's a slippery slope from one to the other. And that's true. And that might have a lot to do with fear. Absolutely. That's one topic that you talk about in your book. And I'll be asking you these two questions now. Why do you think some of us are afraid of goal setting? And what are some of the common fears? Yeah, absolutely. So we've all heard of the fear of failure. You know, what if I fail? I don't want to try it because I might fail. That's the common one. And when I set out to write my book, I really kind of focused on that one. But the more that I researched and the more that I thought and reflected on it and just started writing, I kind of found that there were six fears. You know, there's the fear of loss. So I think some people don't pursue goal setting because they're afraid they may lose something. Um, and sometimes you do lose something, and but sometimes that's not bad. And then sometimes there's a fear of loss, but it's not even really real. You know, if you want to get in shape, you're going to go to the gym, but you're going to have you you think you're going to lose all your favorite foods. That may not be true. Are you going to lose an hour of time every day if you go to the gym? Probably. But to me, going to the gym is a, a, a love. I, it's my favorite investment of my time out of the day. It gives me so much in return. So I don't look at it as a loss. But, you know, some people think I'm going to lose an hour of sleep going to the gym or I'm going to lose time with my family. I want a, a bigger house. Well, you may have to lose the house you have now, but that's you need to do that in order to, to upgrade, so to speak. So there's the fear of loss that I think get, gets a lot of people. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's good, you know, to, to lose one thing and to gain another if what you want is better than what you're going to lose, then then where's the where's the bad in that? Fear of success, shockingly, is one that I discovered while writing my book. Sometimes we have this grand image of what life could be like if we become the CEO or a founder of a nonprofit or whatever it is. You have that dream, but then you're almost afraid that if I succeed, Will I be good enough to actually pull it off? Will I be good enough to do a good job? Or will I be good enough to, to keep it going? And so you're almost afraid. It's kind of tied to the fear of failure. But if I succeed with what I'm trying, what will life be like? Uh, you know, it's it's the unknown. And, and so that's another fear is the, the fear of the unknown. Sometimes we're paralyzed by fear because we just don't know what to do. We have so many options, uh, but we don't know which one to, to choose. What if we choose the wrong thing? And so there's a lot of different fears. I wrote about six of them in my book, but those are the ones that really jump to mind because fear impacts all of us. And those are things that I think about, you know. That's so, true. yeah, I hope, hope that answers your question. Yes, it does very much. There's the fear of judgment and rejection too. This is an interesting one. Why do we fear so much to be judged? 
goes back to lack of self-esteem? It, it very well could, yeah. Um, what if I try this? Darren Hardy says if your goals aren't, if people don't laugh, your goals aren't big enough. But I think some people are afraid to tell people what their goals are. You know, in my book, I, t I made up a just a hypothetical story about a couple of high school kids, and one of their one of the kids was his dream was to be an attorney someday. And you know, the kids like you don't know how much work that's going to be. You're you're not smart enough. You're never going to be able to do that. And so sometimes we're worried about what other people are going to think or say or do or, oh, you want to be a lawyer someday. You just want to be a rich guy and whatever it is, you know, it, that rejection, that ridicule you hear all the time about just people not accepting one another. And so they try to conform. They try to go with the status quo to be accepted by their peers and they don't want to break out of that for fear of being just completely rejected. You know, if you have five friends that are all a certain way and you kind of want to deviate from the status quo, what if my five friends reject me and I lose all my friends? So it's kind of a fear of rejection, fear of loss, uh, because I want to pursue this thing that I love, you know, and it's a tricky one. But yeah, that the confidence thing definitely plays a role in that. Yeah. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Unconditional self-love. I, I want to say yes, you know, um, but I think we all struggle with unconditional means you love yourself in every regard, no matter what. Right. That's we. That, that's hard. I think we all we all love ourselves. But then there's always there's there's something we want to change or something we wish we were different. You know, I always joke with my wife. It's, it seems like she's always talking about, oh, I wish I had her hair. And I'm like, yeah, but I bet she wishes she had your hair. You know, we <laughs> there's so many things about ourselves that we we wish we could change. And so I want to believe in unconditional self-love. That would be a beautiful thing. But unfortunately, I think we all just wish we could change, you know, a few things if we could. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. That's an interesting perspective. I guess the way I see it is even loving that, the things that we don't accept, and maybe the things that we want to change, we embrace that too. And that, in a way, creates this space creativity so we can come up with the better better solutions absolutely so what is the blue sky thinking yes i love blue sky thinking and and to be totally honest there's so many things in this book that i didn't know about when i started writing the book but i'm always reading personal development blue sky thinking is some it's it's when you maybe you don't know where you want your life to go you know, you, you know about your current limitations, you know about how much money you make right now, you know what your education level is right now. So it's sometimes it can be difficult to dream about the future you want because you're looking through the lens of what you have now. It's difficult to see past our current situation because that's all the, you know, if we're looking through a lens, that's all we can see. And so blue sky thinking is stepping back and saying, okay, where do you want to be in life 25 years from now? If money were no issue, if all things were possible, you know, just removing all those limitations that we put on ourselves and what would life look like? And the exercise is really intended to force you to dream big. And anytime you think, no, that wouldn't be possible, you got to check yourself and say, no, what if it were possible? I'm going to write this down. Um, so it's really trying to 
if you could control every variable, what life would you create for yourself? And and you write that down. And then in my book, I, I put it as coming back to reality. You know, you, you come back to reality and you don't let self-doubt and fear set in and throw the, the list that you just made away. You start thinking about, okay, how could I potentially start angling the life that I have now in this direction? What could I do today to maybe get me closer to this dream? And oftentimes we find that with talking to the right people or taking the right courses or, or just changing the, the right habits, we can start moving our life towards that dream life that we have for ourselves. Do we hit it 100% the way we dreamed it? Maybe not. But if you got 80% of the way to your dream life, that would be far better than to have never dreamed at all and end up, you know, nowhere. It's a it can be an intimidating exercise and a lot of people don't like it right off the bat because they're like, well, you know, not everybody gets to live their dream life. Not everybody can do what they want to do, and that might be true, but how much would it cost you to try? Maybe the people who don't get to live their dream lives are just the ones who accept that not everyone gets to. And so they don't even try. You know, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy there. If you say, no, it's just not going to work. And so you don't try. Well, you just fulfilled that <laughs> your own prophecy. And so that's what blue sky thinking is. It's just a way to step back and dream big. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I love that idea. Without perhaps delusions, do you create any kinds of boundaries or limitations at all, like delusions? <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult. I think in my book, I use the example of, you know, if you're four and a half feet tall and your dream <laughs> is to be in the NBA, that may not be possible just from pure physical limitations. So, yeah, I mean, it, there there are some things to consider, but a lot of people don't think they can earn a certain amount or they don't think they're good enough or smart enough to pursue a career that they want to pursue or they want to start a nonprofit and they just don't think it's possible because it's just too big of an idea. But when you really start connecting with other individuals that have similar interests, maybe you, you don't have to do it all yourself. So yeah, there are some some boundaries, some limitations, but uh, it try to remove as many of those boundaries and limitations as you can and dream big within your literal physical <laughs> limitations, <laughs> for sure. I agree. So before we talk about the... Um, focused framework. I have another question for you here that I found to be interesting about the, uh, I think you use a term, you say you are what you eat mindset. That is the phrase. So in my book, I included, oh, I don't know, eight or nine mindsets that, so when I talk about goal setting, I am trying to build a tribe of goal getters. Growing up, my grandpa always looked at my ambition and he said, you're just a go-getter. You're just a go-getter. And so I kind of played on that and said, you know, I'm a goal-getter. I'm going to set my goals and I'm going to go get them. And so I have a chapter, I think it's the the my, how to build a goal-getter's mindset. And there's just nine different belief systems. And the you are what you eat mindset is just it, not physical. Now, I think that's the joke there is that most people think of that in terms of physical, but it's also mental. You know, we think the way we think how we we read the things that we read or, or view or the videos we watch all those things can either make our thought processes and our mindsets better or worse and so in a lot of ways 
you are what you consume in terms of content. So I, I just love reading personal development content. I love listening to personal development podcasts. I love listening to podcasts that are cross subjects like Tim Ferriss or I think it's Joe Rogan I listen to occasionally. You know, they, they talk about a variety of topics and that really allows you to be a well-rounded individual. And when you subscribe to the mindset, the growth mindset that we can always improve, we can always be better. And when you start thinking that way, you seek out that information. But if you start listening to people or watching videos that are putting you down or limiting you, then that's only going to perpetuate those thought processes. So in the book, I encourage everyone to be very mindful of what they surround themselves with. And it can be Aside from content, it could be family and friends as well. If you are constantly around pessimistic, negative, uh, limiting, limited thinking people, that's going to limit your thinking. That's going to spread over to you. We, we, as strong and as resilient as we think we might be, if you expose yourself to a certain line of thinking often enough, it could kind of you could absorb that. So just being mindful, you know, I watch a lot of goofy TV shows, The Office, Parks and Rec. I'm not suggesting you only read or watch personal development stuff, but just be very mindful of the things that you that you think about or consume. Yeah, so true, Austin. That's a great suggestion. And speaking of limited beliefs, what do we do with them? Do we replace those beliefs, add new ones or try to remove them? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Self-limiting beliefs are any belief system is just a repeated thought you have over and over and over again. So I think it's far easier to modify or change those than to just get rid of them. You know, the scarcity mindset, there's not enough to go around. There's not enough money. There's not enough jobs. There's not enough opportunity. That's a limiting belief. That's scarcity mindset. And when we really step back and look at it, we have to question those limiting beliefs. And we just the best question to ask when you find yourself repeating a self-limiting belief, say, is that really true? Or where did I learn that? Or who told me that? Is that right? Is that real? Is that true? Because so many times our belief systems, unfortunately, stem from how we're raised. If your parents and your uncles and your cousins and your grandparents all have a certain limiting belief, whether it's about opportunity or wealth or or anything, you might have that same self-limiting belief and you only believe it because you were told it by a certain group of people. It doesn't make it true. That's the, the best thing that I've learned about beliefs is beliefs are just a thought that you think over and over. They are not facts in many cases. And so we really have to fact check them. You know, I'm not good enough for this. You know, why do I believe that? Who told me that? Where did this thought come from? And so it takes a lot of so, you know, self-reflection and introspection to really address those. But my favorite thing about it, I guess, is, is once you learn what they are, it, they're easier to identify. There was a point in my life, I didn't know what a self-limiting belief was. I had never heard it. I had never heard about learned helplessness or scarcity mindset. But when you start learning about these things, they're so much easier to identify when they crop up in our lives. And once you see them, then you can question them and you can begin to alter them. But just trying to say, you know, that's not true. I'm not going to believe that. That's a bit harder, I think. You just said something that's uh, interesting. It's true. Self-awareness. How did you do it? Do you suggest some methods such as meditation? 
I, so many successful people cite meditation as just a part of their day they cannot do without. I've never been able to meditate in the sense of sitting still, eyes closed and breathing. I get in a meditative state when I mow the yard or when I go for a run or when I'm working out at the gym. It's anytime my brain is kind of switched off. You know, you can just kind of check out. Um, Self-awareness came to me from seeking it out. So like I said, I I read a lot of self-help books or you know professional development books, but I always I didn't always do that. A mentor of mine gave me the compound effect by Darren Hardy just a few years ago, uh, four or five years ago, and that was the first pro- professional development book I ever re- read, and I loved it because it made me think deeply about my own habits and the things that I was doing, and I could see myself in this book like oh man you know, and so I started seeking out other content, and I think part of becoming better. I don't like the term self-help because people look at that as a weakness. Like I don't need help. Um, but professional or personal development is just stating like, I'm okay with who I am, but I think I could be better. And I want to explore what that looks like. And so as I started exploring it, I started reading all these books and I'm like, wow, I could be better in this way. I could be a better leader at work. I could be a better writer. So I just started seeking it out. And the more I learned the more I was, you know, I read about scarcity mindset, uh, or I'm, I'm very risk averse. I don't like taking risks. I didn't always know that about myself until I read about risk aversion. And I'm like, wow, that that's me, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just the more I read and the more I was willing to admit that I'm not perfect, that I have things that are holding me back. And I just embraced that and accepted it, the more I could see it and improve upon it. So meditation is just one method that some people choose, but there are so many methods that we can personalize, right, Austin? 100%, yeah. You just spoke about perfectionism. Talk to me for a moment about that. <laughs> perfectionism, I, I, I think I mentioned uh, when you said, who are you as a person? I'm very type A. I'm also a perfectionist, so I always want everything to be so perfect before I release it to the world. Uh, my background is in graphic design, video production, and I always want everything to be perfect before I show it to anyone. My wife didn't know I was starting a blog for the first seven or eight months because I wanted it to be perfect before I showed it to her or before I told her about the idea. My book took far longer than it should have because I was struggling with perfecting the layout and the. I wanted to make sure the outline was perfect. So it's something that I struggle with. I think it leads to high quality output. What I try to put out in the world, I believe, is very high quality. But some people say, you know, just get it out there. Just just get it out there. It can't help somebody if, if you don't get it out there. One of my favorite authors, John A. Cuff, always in his books, he, he says, uh, you know, 98% done and shared with the world helps more people than 100% done and stuck in your head. <laughs> and so I always try to remember that, but that perfectionism always, you know, surfaces in my life. But again, it's something that I now know about. And I have a mastermind group, a group of eight guys that we meet every week. And I've told them about this. I'm like, guys, I struggle from perfectionism. Sometimes things are done, you know, by most standards, but I, I won't release them. And so now when we keep each other accountable, they say, hey, man, is it is it done? And you're just trying to make it perfect because I'm self-aware about it. I can build an accountability system around it 
and I can have people remind me if it becomes a blind spot at any point in time. So if you're listening and you're a perfectionist, it can be a good thing. You know, it can lead to high quality output, but it can also cause you to limit how much you put out into the world. So be mindful of that. It's, but it's hard. Right. I love the way you embrace it, though. <laughs> that is remarkable because this is, from what I understand, is the most healthy thing to do, to embrace everything. Yeah, you talked about unconditional self-love. I yeah. think just the more you can learn about yourself and the more that you can begin to accept yourself right. and just kind of roll with it. You know, I, I used to resist being type A. People would tell me you're so type A. And I'm like, I don't need to be in control. I don't need to, you know, control the outcome or need everything to be neat and tidy. I resisted it because I thought it was bad. But being a certain way is not bad. It's just who you are. And so the more you can learn and accept that, the better, I think. Absolutely. I know it. <laughs> I have to say from that point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk to me about the focused framework. Yeah, this was something that we've all, well, I assume we've all heard about SMART goals, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely um, or relevant. Some people would say the R stands for relevant instead of realistic. I tried to use that for years. And I found you can set some really bad goals that are SMART goals. Mm -hmm. Some goals are really good, but they're not necessarily very specific or measurable. I've Michael Hyatt uses the example, growing closer with God. How do you measure that? How is that specific? No, it's very vague, but it's, it's a great goal because every day you want to do something that helps deepen your, your spiritual relationship with God. I sometimes use the example growing closer with your family. You don't know how close you are now comparative to how close you want to be later. You just want to set a goal that I want to improve these relationships. You can set some really unhealthy fitness or weight loss goals that fit the SMART framework, the SMART model, but they're not good goals. And so what I what I discovered or what I believe people love about SMART goals is it's a system. It's a, it's a checklist that you can measure your goals with. You can say, is my goal SMART? Yep, it checks all the boxes. I'm going to do this and I'm going to succeed. And I actually wrote a blog post about this on my website, dailynewyears.com. But I think that leads so many people to fail because they say, yep, it checks all five boxes. It's a smart goal. I'm going to succeed. And then it doesn't. And the reason why is because we are highly emotional beings. We humans, smart goals don't tie in any emotion whatsoever. And so I wanted to create a new framework to measure our goals to not necessarily say your goal is right or wrong, but to help us think more deeply about our goals. And so I came up with the focused framework. It's a longer, harder to remember acronym. I always like to joke, but I think if you print my worksheet or, or get the book, the focused framework, it stands for future focused, optimistic, challenging, unforgettable, significant, energizing, and deadline driven. And this framework is not meant to measure your goals and say, okay, you didn't check all the boxes, all seven boxes, so don't do this goal. It's just made to help you think deeply about your goals. If it's future focused, it should be leading you to a brighter, more significant, remarkable future. 
Maybe it's a healthier life or better financial independence, a more fulfilling career, but it's some kind of better future. A lot of us set goals that are just focused on the short term. That's where resolutions go so bad um, because really we're, we're trying to plan a whole year with one resolution and most of us make it till the mid, mid-January, mid-February. But if we take a step back and think about the future we want to build for ourselves, that can help us set more meaningful goals today. Mm, optimistic, you know, are you, op- yeah, thank you. Uh, I won't go through all these, but optimistic, you know, your goals should be optimistic and you should be optimistic in your ability to achieve them. Uh, your goals should be challenging. I think when we get bored as people, we give up on things and that's because we're not challenging ourselves. So smart goals say that your goals should be realistic and attainable. Well, if you know on day one that you're going to achieve your goal it's not going to stretch you. It's not going to excite you. And so the focused framework, again, I can go through all of them if you want me to, or you guys can go to, uh, if you're listening, go to dailynewyears.com and, and check that out. But it's all about thinking deeply about our goals and tying in our emotions. We should be setting goals that energize us, that excite us, that paint a bright picture of our futures. Yes. And I agree a hundred percent with that this energy of positivity you call optimism, it -hmm. just makes a huge difference. Yeah, huge, huge. I think one of the things that most people do, I did myself, was to focus too much on the result, like the destination, and uh, Mm -hmm. really enjoy the journey, the moment by moment, you know. Yes, yeah. it's. It's so hard, especially if you're a very driven, ambitious person that you're, and you have a picture of what your future can be like. That's where goal setting can go wrong a little bit because you have to celebrate and, and be content with what you currently have, but then also be striving to build upon and make something better. So it's very difficult. You know, I'm always charging ahead. I released my book and I almost didn't stop and pause and think about what that meant. You know, a year's worth of work. I was, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing an online course, creating my first online course. And as soon as the book was published the next week, I'm like, all right, I need to come up with the outline for my course on to the next thing. It, that can be kind of draining sometimes if you're always thinking about the next thing. So you really have to, to celebrate your wins and celebrate your success. Mm, yes, yes. A thousand times, Austin. Yes. And being grateful is a great way of doing that. Absolutely. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? You know, currently I have a pretty clear vision about my future and that's that's one that results in me working for myself and coaching individuals and groups and speaking around the world. Um, And I'm building towards that. Uh, So I'm still working a a regular full-time 40-hour week job. And I just, I do all this other stuff in my early, early 4 a.m. mornings and on the weekends. So if I knew that time was limited and I knew that I was going to die soon, I would probably just immediately quit my job. (laughs) I would uh, spend, (laughs) yeah, I would, not that I don't love my job because I absolutely do. But I would spend more time with my wife and, and my dogs and my family and just try to get the most out of life. If, if I knew I was going to pass, if I didn't quite know when it would be, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I would do. Yes, yeah. I really appreciate your elaborating on that answer. <laughs> and <laughs> my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? 
three things about life that I know for sure. Um, number one, I said this early on in the in the interview that it's the greatest gift we can receive, and the, and the worst thing that we could do is to waste it. And so I think that kind of bounces off the question you just asked. I think so many people assume that they're going to be around 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. And so there's so many things they want to do that they say they're going to do later. We may not get a later. So life's the greatest gift you'll receive. Please don't waste it. If there's if, if a dream that you have, work towards making that dream a reality. You may not be able to make it happen tomorrow, but start building towards it today. Build some momentum what is it? The journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. So life's a gift. The second thing I know about life is that it can be really hard, but it's so worth living. You mentioned gratitude. I am new to gratitude journaling. I've been doing it for a month and a half, two months now, and it's completely changed my perspective on the world um, when things maybe don't go so good, it helps me see the bright side. Life, no matter how hard it gets, life is worth living. Third thing about life, trouble, struggling to come up with number three. I think life is better together. That's one thing that I do know. Trying to go through life by yourself or closed off from other people is so hard and so unfulfilling and so, uh, I'll just say it, sad. Uh, some people, I think that's the reality. Some people choose it for themselves. Some people are just lonely, but life is so much better together. So find somebody, what, you know, it doesn't have to be a partner or significant other. It could just be friends. Just live life with other people. You are a wonderful speaker. I love how uplifting your words are. So positive oh, in every so way. Much. So much thank wisdom you. too. And I love how genuine you are as well. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for having me. This this has been the, the deepest podcast I've ever been on. And I appreciate that. It's oftentimes we don't stop to think about answers to these types of questions. But I would argue that the answers to these types of questions are arguably some of the most meaningful questions to answer. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, course, services, and future projects? Yeah, so my main hub is dailynewyears.com. That's the blog I started back in 2017. It's the one that I've got the most momentum behind. So uh, you can find out how to contact me, connect with me, all my social media accounts, all my blog posts, podcast episodes, book, everything is there. I also have crushyourgoalsbook.com with more information about the book specifically. Um, and then, of course, you can connect with me on any major social media platforms. I'm most active on Facebook and LinkedIn. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Austin. And we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been truly wonderful. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Austin Bollinger and his work, please visit dailynewyears.com and also crushyourgoalsbook.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. <music>